It's, I'm glad that you're here. It's good to be here uh, for me as well. Man, I'm so excited for you as a faith family about your new teaching pastor, Justin. And uh, aren't you excited about Justin? And uh, Justin will be, listen, y'all got to be more excited about Justin than that. He'll be here next week, not in October, as Lynn said uh, last week or whenever that was. He'll be here next week. Uh, and that's something to really be excited about. Uh, great guy. And uh, I know you're just super blessed to have him. And that'll be exciting for you guys next week. Um, so if you have your Bible, go ahead and grab it open to Matthew chapter 18, place your finger there, and then uh, flip back to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to take a look at both of those this morning. Uh, and so just as a reminder, we're in this series that we're just simply calling Choices. And what we're doing in the series called uh, Choices is we're really talking about how uh, we all make choices in our lives. Uh, some psychologists say we make about 70 choices at least a day. Uh, and some of those choices lead us to life and joy and happiness and fulfillment, and some of those choices lead us to what, what we're calling in the series hurts, habits, and hang-ups. And so we're talking about how to make choices that lead us to the first one, uh, joy and happiness and fulfillment in life. And so um, to get us there, what we're doing is we're unpacking a section of Scripture called the Beatitudes. Now, uh, you know from this series that uh, one Bible scholar called the Beatitudes attitudes that we should be. And the idea is that, that when we live out these Beatitudes, these attitudes we should be, when we sear them into our souls, what we will do is we'll begin to make choices that lead us to life and joy uh, and fulfillment and happiness. And so today what we're going to talk about is this choice that we're calling the relationship choice. Now, uh, the interesting thing about uh, the relationship choice and really uh, the beatitude that we'll look at today is that all of the choices we've talked about so far, all of the beatitudes we've looked at have really been sort of how a person comes to Christ, um, sort of what the posture of a person is that, that comes to Jesus. But today, the choice we'll make and the beatitude we'll look at really points us to how a person who has come to Jesus lives that out in their lives. How that, a, a person who's a gospel-centered person, how that begins then to manifest in that person's life and the relationships that he has. So, so here's how we're defining the relationship choice. It's this, it's to evaluate all of my relationships, to offer forgiveness to those who've hurt me, and to make amends for harm that I've done to others. Now I want you to read that. I want you to read it again real slowly because there are a couple of phrases in there that I want you to really take in. And, and then when you meet with your life group this week, begin to unpack. Here it is again. Let's read it together. Not out loud, but you read out as I read out loud. To evaluate all of my relationships, to offer forgiveness to those who have hurt me, and make amends for harm that I have done to others. Now, uh, just reading that and processing it for a moment, I, I don't have to prove to you why this is an important choice to make. Uh, we all know that we all have relationships, uh, and relationship with relationships comes brokenness. In fact, I read this week that a Columbia University study uh, a few years ago said that the average person, this kind of blew my mind actually, the average person has about... 600 relationships in his life now or his or her life now that seems like a lot some of that's amplified because of social media but 600 relationships in in our lives right so think about that multiplied by all the years that you've lived to this point think about all the relationships that you that you have or have had all the the brokenness in your life all the times that you've been wounded by relationships all the times that you have been hurt by someone all the times that you have hurt someone, 
right? And what psychologists tell us that we do is, and you all know this, but what psychologists tell us is that we will actually build up, when we've been hurt so much, we'll actually build up walls in our lives to keep other people from hurting us in that way again. Uh, the the list of relational wounds, either uh, to us or that are caused by us, can be endless if we just start to parse it out. Like if I were to have you make a list of all those things that I just said and how they'd happened to you in your life since maybe like kindergarten, and you were to just make that list, man, you, you'd be writing from now until Jesus returns, right? Because we there's just so much uh, woundedness when it comes to relationships. And so uh, what this beatitude is going to do today is it, it's going to really drive us to, to the God's plan to how to tear down those walls that we've built, uh, to how to to really find um, joy in relationships. Y'all see that string hanging there? Just saw it. There we go. It's done. Uh, So how to find find freedom in our lives when it comes to relationships and how to make the most of them. All right, so let's read it together. This beatitude, Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. Here it goes. Blessed, or we know from uh, this series that, that Jesus actually means there, the Greek word really means happy, Right, so blessed or happy uh, are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Jesus is saying you want to find lasting joy, fulfillment, happiness in your relationships, be a peacemaker. So the question is, what is a peacemaker? What is the life of a peacemaker here look like? And then why does Jesus say it's those people that will be called sons of God? Okay, so to unpack both of those things, we're going to go to Matthew 18. Now let me just remind you that uh, what we've said in this series is that, that, that Bible scholars have noted for centuries is that the Beatitudes are so central to Jesus' teaching uh, that you can look all throughout Scripture and you can see multiple accounts of how each beatitude is played out practically. In other words, there are multiple stories or multiple narratives all throughout Scripture that unpack what each beatitude means. Matthew 18 is one of those places that Bible scholars point out is a commentary for this. Blessed are the peacemakers, so they, well, they shall be called sons of God. And so we're going to unpack it today. Now, Matthew 18 is a place where uh, Peter comes to Jesus and he asks Jesus a relationship question. And in asking Jesus this relationship question, uh, and and Peter asking, Jesus responds with a parable. Now, uh, we've all been around church long enough to know a parable is simply an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And so Jesus is going to respond with this parable. And what this is going to do is it's going to, number one, define for us what a peacemaker is, and then number two, it's going to give us sort of toward the end a sobering caution that we must all uh, take note of. And so I want to show you both of those. So let's read Matthew 18, verses 21 through 35. All right, here we go. Then Peter approached him, coming to Jesus, and he asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? As many as seven times, Peter asked. Jesus says, uh, I, I tell you, not as many as seven, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven, now he starts the story. For this reason, a kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven, can be uh, compared to a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle accounts, 
One who owed 10,000 talents was brought before him. Since he did not have the money to pay it back, his master commanded that he, his wife, his children, and everything he had be sold to pay the debt. At this, the servant fell face down before him and said, Be patient with me, and I'll pay everything. Uh, you can almost hear the, the pleading in his voice here. Then the master of the servant had, had compassion, released him, and forgave him the loan. Uh, verse 28, that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him, started choking him, and said, pay what you owe. At this, his fellow servant fell down and began begging him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he wasn't willing. Instead, uh, he went and threw him into prison until he could pay what was owed. When the other servants saw what had taken place, they were deeply distressed and went and reported to their master everything that had happened. And then he had summoned him. His, uh, then after he summoned him, his master said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave all, uh, you all the debt because uh, you begged me. Shouldn't you also have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And because he was angry, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay everything that was owed. So also my heavenly father will do to you unless every one of you forgives his brother or sister from your heart. Now, uh, let, me, let me recap the story, all right? So sir, the servant uh, serving a very wealthy king, uh, and the servant has racked up a massive load of debt. Uh, it said 10,000 talents, which actually means around a little over a million dollars in today's, you know, American currency. Uh, a little over a million dollars. We don't know why. We don't know how he owes him this debt. But the guy's walking along one day and he hears that, this, uh, that the king wants to meet with him. So he goes to meet with the king and he finds out that today is the day he's got to pay up. King wants him to pay up. And so the guy falls down uh, on his knees and he says, please, 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 uh, will you have mercy? I, I owe a debt that I cannot pay. Will you have mercy on me? And the king does. He has mercy on him. Now, let me pause there for just a second because I want you to feel the weight of what Jesus is trying to get us to feel the weight of here. Uh, Jesus wants you and I to feel the weight of the fact that as a Christian person, uh, you are the servant in the story, uh, right? You owed a debt that you could not pay. And, and Jesus wants to remind us here that, that Jesus was coming to pay a debt that he did not owe because you owed a debt that you could not pay. Do you see this? Uh, this, is, this is Jesus' point in this story here. As a Christian person, uh, because of the cross, because of Jesus, your debt has been erased. Because of the cross, really the cross is, is, is the story of Jesus being a peacemaker with us. Jesus making peace with us. And, and really this story points us to the weight of the fact that there is no greater peacemaker than God. There is no greater peacemaker than God. In fact, I want to give you a few, a few examples from the Old Testament. If you remember Genesis chapter 3, God had created a man, Adam and Eve, and they're in the garden and everything's going great. And then Adam and Eve decide uh, they want to wage war against God. They'd rather be like God. Right? And so they, they kind of wage war against God, and God immediately, in Genesis 3.15, and, and then the word, verses following, immediately begins to pursue him, uh, them. And in an amazing sort of foreshadowing of the cross, what happens in the succeeding verses there 
is an innocent animal is killed so that that innocent animal's blood and skin can cover the shame that was caused by their sin. Uh, What's happening there? This is us, mankind, warring against God, but God being an incredible peacemaker. I'm going to give you another example. Uh, Think about the story of um, uh, Noah and the ark, right? Mankind once again was waging a war against God, rebelling against God, but God made a way for people to, to have peace and freedom and, and safety away from uh, the, the reign of God's judgment. God provided the ark. But what's amazing is actually after that part of the story. Remember the story, God said, uh, I'm going to make a promise to you that I'll never destroy the world with, with, with a flood again, right? And so what did he do? He put his rainbow or bow in the sky is what the Hebrew says, just bow, not rainbow, just bow in the sky. And notice that when you think about a rainbow, a rainbow or a bow in the Hebrew is actually not pointed down, it's pointing upward, right? Why is, have you ever thought about it? Why is that? Uh, The reason the bow is pointed upward in God's promise not to destroy the world in that way again is God actually making a promise that though you make war against me, my arrows of, of, of war will never come to you again in that same way. Because of Jesus, when you make war against me, the actually the war bow is pointed upward and the arrows of my judgment will pierce my heart, will pierce Jesus. And because of Jesus, I will make peace with you. Even though you make war against me, I will make peace with you. And every time you see a rainbow, every time you see a rainbow, you don't just think about the cute Bible story of Noah and the flood and the, oh, look how cute the animals are. When you see a rainbow in the sky, we should remember that this is a reminder that God doesn't want to make war with us, that God actually is the greatest peacemaker. He's making peace with us who war against him. Now, Think about when Jesus comes. First Timothy calls Jesus a mediator. A mediator. Uh, only uh, one mediator between God and man. What's a mediator? Some of you, uh, unfortunately, have felt the pain of things like, like divorce. And in a divorce situation, oftentimes a mediator is called in uh, to be sort of the middleman who has his shoulders on both parties uh, and sort of brokers uh, the terms of the agreement between both uh, parties. And so Jesus coming as a mediator, what, what that tells us is that Jesus is coming to be a peacemaker between, uh, between two disagreeing parties, right? Uh, we have disagreed with God and we've tried to be our own God and we've rebelled against Him and we've made war against Him. And because of that, <coughs> because of that, uh, God has to express His judgment. And so Jesus, in this amazing, uh, beautiful picture, stands as a mediator between two warring parties as a peacemaker, right? God is the ultimate peacemaker. And the cross is the ultimate example of God making his peace with us. And the reason this is in this narrative uh, that of, of uh, the, the parable of the uh, ungrateful servant here, uh, the, the reason this is in this is because God want, Jesus wants us to feel the weight of that reality, that God is the ultimate peacemaker. There's never been a better peacemaker than God. And so uh, he says, uh, th- th- this is why this um, parable unpacks the reality that we find in the Beatitude, Matthew 5, 9. 
blessed are the peacemakers. So it says, blessed are the peacemakers, but they shall be called sons of God. Okay? So everything I just said is the foundation. Now let's think about why he says, they shall be called sons of God. I'm going to show you a picture of my dad. This is my dad. His name's Ron. That's him. <coughs> Excuse me. Ron Dalberry is an amazing man. He's actually here, not here today, but here this weekend. He's from Alabama, but here this weekend, hanging out with my kids at my house this morning. He said, don't worry, I'll take care of breakfast, and I'll get them lunch, and you just go. And so uh, my dad's awesome. Uh, when I was a kid, some things about my dad I wanted to be just like, uh, and some things about my dad I wanted to be nothing like right? Uh, and all of you probably have that same kind of story. Uh, my dad is one of those people who he, he just wants to take care of everything for you, right? He just wants to make everything right and make sure you're safe and make sure you're provided for. And so when I was a kid, often I would ask my dad's help with something, some project for school. And what my dad would end up doing is my dad would end up not just helping me, letting me kind of wrestle through it, but he'd end up just doing it, doing it for me, just doing it himself. And that used to so frustrate me. I didn't want him to do it for me. I wanted, I wanted him to help me so that I could learn to do it, right? <clears throat> and I said, I swore to myself, when I grow up to be an adult, I will never do that with my kids. I will never do that. I'm going to help them just like I wanted to be helped. I'm going to do... But now what I found out is that my kids... All, and if you're a parent, you probably know this too. Uh, my kids often get frustrated with the same with me about the same things I got frustrated with my parents about, right? So now I find myself doing the exact same thing with my kids. Uh, my dad, sometimes he, uh, well, he, he like, he's not a good singer at all. In fact, he may be tone deaf, right? I like, like, like some people just don't have a great voice and then some people are tone deaf. Uh, my dad is probably tone deaf, all right? Uh, very, very bad. But he loves to sing just because he's a joyful person. And so he'll walk around all the time singing. And when I was a kid, I was an only child, still am. Uh, and uh, and um, we, we'd be riding in the car, and my mom and dad, of course, are in the front seat, and I'm in the back, and my dad's just singing, driving in the car. And I can still, in fact, they still do it today. I can still remember my mom saying, shut up, Ronnie, shut up, Ronnie. I mean, she's She's not a mean person. She just gets so frustrated, and they kind of make a joke about it. Shut up, Ronnie. My dad even, <clears throat> sometimes, uh, he, this is weird what I'm about to tell you, and I still haven't figured out like, why he does this necessarily, <clears throat> but sometimes he'll like, not be singing, right? and, and, I, and, and, and then um, he'll open a door, and you're in the room that he's coming into, and so he's not singing here opens the door and like begins to sing but all, but as if he's already been singing right and and so it's like um he cry holy right he doesn't like the first part he just leaves out because it's like he wants you to think he's all, i don't really even understand why it used to so frustrate me when i was a kid like dad just sing the whole song or like uh, you know, when you come in, it's okay for you to start singing the whole thing then, right? You don't have to, like, pretend like you are. I don't even understand why he does that. Uh, but he does. And I used to say, I will never, ever, ever do that. Ever. I hate that so much. But what, I totally do it now. I, and I don't know why. I don't. I just do it. It's weird, okay? I admit it. I need you to pray for me later. Can we all lay hands and pray? I don't know. Uh, so so here, here's the point. Even in things that I don't want to be like my father in, I have become like Ron Dalberry. Why? Because children naturally become like their father. 
They naturally do, right? Um, my, my behavior, though, does not cause my sonship to Ron Dalberry. In other words, uh, I, I'm not Ron Dalberry's son because I act like Ron Dalberry. I act like Ron Dalberry because I'm Ron Dalberry's son. Do you see this? And this is exactly why Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Do you see this? God is the best, the ultimate peacemaker. We've given you multiple examples. This is what this parable is pointing us to. God is the ultimate peacemaker. And if you are a son of God, you will in turn also become a peacemaker. Peacemaking is so central to the heart of God that everyone who has truly been born of God will take on this characteristic. This is what this is pointing us to. Now, look at verse 33. It says, Just as I have shown mercy to you, you also will show mercy. As a son or a daughter of the king, just as you've been shown mercy by the greatest mercy giver, just as you've been made peace with by the greatest peacemaker, you too will show mercy. You too will be a, take on the characteristic of a peacemaker. Here's his point. He's actually saying this right here, sum it up in one little phrase. Forgiven people forgive people. Forgiven people forgive people. In fact, C.S. Lewis said it this way. One of the greatest theologians uh, of all time, he said, he said, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. What an amazing, amazing quote. Now, let me give you an example of how this played out. Um, this week, uh, a tragic thing uh, happened in Florida. And, man, we, we should all take time to pray uh, for the families of those that were affected and still will be and their lives will never be the same again. Uh, and, uh, man, even our own children, my, my own two older kids last night, 15 and 13, were talking about how they were scared in their own schools and trying to figure out what to do. And, how, man, how do, I, how do I interact with my world now? It seems like things are different. And, uh, man, it's just, a, it's just a scary thing. And so that reminded me of all, all the things like that that have gone on over the past several years. And I thought about this story of Dylan Roof. Do you remember that name? Dylan Roof. He went in tragically a couple of years ago into a church in South Carolina, pre predominantly African-American church, uh, and opened fire on some innocent uh, churchgoers there. I think it was a Wednesday night service, wasn't it? Walked in and, and, and shot, shot up the church. Uh, when Dylan Roof went on trial, here's what he said. He said, I do not regret what I did. Uh, I'm not sorry. I have not shed a single tear over the innocent people I killed. He had no remorse whatsoever. But, but what happened next was so amazing that uh, the news outlets really didn't even know how to report it. Here's, here's what happened next. Um, what happened next was one by one, uh, people, began to, people who were affected by the shooting, uh, family, friends of victims, began to stand up and speak directly to Dylan Roof. Nadine Collier was one of those. She was the daughter of one of the, the, the people who was killed in that shooting. And here's what she said. She said, I forgive you. You took something very precious away from me. I will never be able to hold my mother again. I'll never be able to talk to my mother again. But I forgive you, and I pray mercy for your soul. You hurt me. You hurt a lot of people. But if God forgives you, I forgive you. How powerful is that? 
um, another one, Myra Thompson, who was a relative of one of the victims. Here's what she said. She said to Dylan Roof, uh, or well, about him, I'd just like him to know that I forgive you. My family forgives you. But we would like to take this opportunity to ask you to repent. Give your life to the one who matters most so that he can change you. He can change your ways so that no matter what happens to you in the electric chair, you will be okay in eternity. See, what was happening here? What was happening here is Myra Thompson and Nadine Collier and others whose, whose quotes to him I could read you, what was happening with them is children had become like daddy, right? Uh, people with whom had been made peace from the Father were now peacemakers. Do you see this? Uh, forgiven people were being forgiving people here. Uh, this is an amazing picture of how this reality um, plays out. Now, what the text is about to do, though, in Matthew 18, uh, is it's about to shift from that to sort of give us a caution. Okay? Uh, and so let, let's go back to the story. We're not going to read it. You just kind of glance down at it, but remember the story. All right, here's what happens. This guy's been forgiven. Uh, all his debt has been erased. And Jesus says he walks out and he runs into a dude that owes him some money. Uh, the, what, what the guy owed him was a significant amount, right? Uh, and so the guy who has just been forgiven walks out and says, Hey, I remember you. You owe me some money. And the Bible tells, and almost kind of humorous, as he begins to choke him and say, you, you pay up right now. If you don't, I'm going to throw you in jail and your kids in jail. And, and, and so he begins to, to not be forgiving, even though he was just, just uh, has been forgiven. And so here's the caution. The caution in our own hearts is this, that sometimes when it comes to our own sin and, and the way we as people sometimes uh, hurt other people, we actually, when it comes to our own sin, want mercy. But when we've been the one who has sinned and who's, who's offended and who has uh, been, been um, when, when we've been the one who's been sinned against and been, been wounded and been offended, we actually want justice, right? When we are the offender, we want mercy. When we are the offended, we want, and the wounded, we want justice. What, what this second half of this story is reminding us of, that we as people, often, though we've been forgiven by God, when it comes to our relationships with other people, we often keep score. We often keep score and we think, man, they hurt me years ago and they, they need to get what they deserve. I can't, I'm glad he lost his job because the way he treated me at work, right? Or I'm glad her uh, boyfriend broke up with her because she was mean to me or, 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 or whatever, whatever it might be, right? Um, and so this is reminding us that we often keep score. In fact, if you look at verse 34, what verse 34 Matthew 18 says is it says, when the king hears about this, here's, here's what he does. When the king hears what this servant who's just been forgiven from his debt has done, what the king does is, it says, the king handed him off to the jailers to be tortured. Some of your translations might say, uh, put him in jail to be tortured. Some say, just put him in jail. One translation, I thought this was really interesting. <clears throat> One translation says, he put the screws to him. In other words, he, he put him in his own, he put him in a torture chamber, basically, is, is what, the, what the text is telling us. And so... All right, so if we are the servant in the story uh, and God is the king, okay, and in the story, the king is torturing this servant because he messed up, 
right after he'd been forgiven. The natural question that we have then is, so, so does God punish me for times when I mess up? Right? And, and some have, I believe, erroneously interpreted this text to me. That's not what this text is saying. The text is saying that, that if... It's, it's pointing us to the weight of the fact that God has forgiven us. And because of that, uh, because we've been made peace with, we should be peacemakers. And, and what the text is saying is when we don't, like the servant, when we don't do that, we're actually putting our, we're creating a torture chamber for ourselves. That's what we're doing. We're putting ourselves in a torture chamber by building a wall around our heart. And bitterness and, and resentment and unforgiveness in our hearts will lead us to an emotional prison that we find ourselves in and our relationships will never be as healthy as they could be if we were to just forgive the way God forgives. In fact, I read this quote this week. It says this uh, about what I just told you. It says, As long as we're unable to forgive, we keep ourselves chained to the unforgiving. We give them rent-free space in our mind emotional shackles in our heart and the right to torment us in the small hours of the night. Some of you have felt that reality before. Uh, an author named John Perkins said this. He said, the saddest people I know are those who are unable to forgive. Now, here's what this looks like. Uh, my great-grandfather's name was John. My dad's grandfather, his name was John. And uh, my great-grandfather, the last 10 or so years of his life... He was bedridden. And my dad used to tell me stories about how he would go in to see his grandpa and his grandpa would be in pain uh, and he'd ask him why and it was because he, had, he, he would get bed sores. And they would be really nervous about bed sores because what would happen with bed sores is be bed sores, though on the surface they may look like just sort of a flesh wound, what happens is they're, they're actually, uh, it's almost like um, a glacier, right? On the, on the surface it looks like it's kind of this big, but down below the surface it's this massive sort of root structure, if you will, below the, the surface of the water. And that's the way bed sores are often. And so it was, when those would come up, it was very important that they treat them properly because if they didn't, what would happen is those things would get super infected and sepsis could set in and my great-grandfather could die. And so it was real important that they treat those bed sores uh, properly. And, and, and so um, what that kind of gross, honestly, story illustrates is, is exactly what happens in our lives when there's unforgiveness. It's kind of like, unforgiveness is kind of like bed sores in our lives, right? And we have unforgiveness and bitterness that sort of, um, sort of piles up under the surface and we make it hide it and we make it smile and we might can look okay and even say the right things in a relationship. But below the surface, there's this... Um, poison that's building up inside of us that will cause death to our relationships if it is not treated properly. And for some of you, uh, the reason you have the issues and the struggles you have in your marriage, this text points us straight to this, is because you have uh, poison of bitterness or poison of having kept score for the way she treated you years ago or the thing he said to you last week that is piling up and it is causing your marriage to die okay uh, the reason uh, you would say man i just don't really have any friends is because every time somebody wounds you 
Or every time you feel tension in a relationship, instead of dealing with that tension and treating the bed sore, you just kind of let it go and you're like, man, it's fine. It's, it's fine. It'll be okay. I'll be okay. And right, we're building a wall, but more than that, what we're doing is, man, we're allowing the poison that's going on under the surface of that sore to continue to infect our lives, and it will destroy, it will kill our relationships. For some of you, your parents were absentee parents. Or maybe uh, they called you things that now you would say, I'll never say that to my kids. I can't believe my parents said that about me. What's happening, but you've yet, to, you've yet to forgive them and you still carry that bitterness in your heart. And what's happening is that poison is slowly infecting your life and it will destroy other relationships and kill other relationships in your life. This text is pointing us to, man, we've got to deal with the bed sores. We've got to treat them properly with the gospel. Uh, and, and so being a peacemaker is a person who prioritizes relationship over vindication. It, it's a person who says, I'm more concerned, I, I'm not as concerned about being right as I am concerned about being in relationship. And we need to shift our hearts from being worried about being right to being worried about being in relationship. To shift in our hearts from, from worrying about being just for people who've wronged us to, to worry about being merciful. Uh, to worry about being a peacemaker like our Father who's a peacemaker and has made peace with us. From, shift from worrying about what's fair to me to asking the question, what's fair, or, or what, what's, not what's fair for me, but what's best for us. And for some of you, uh, the, the last thing your marriage, man, your, your marriage is one of those that I described. And for some of you, the last thing your marriage needs is more date nights or better communication or, or more sex. What your marriage needs is one peacemaker. For some of you in your relationship with uh, a friend or with your kids or with neighbors or somebody at work, you, you just feel like you're constantly at war. This text is calling you to, to say, man, if nobody else will, even though I was not the offender, if nobody else will be a peacemaker because I've been made peace with by God, the greatest peacemaker, I will be a peacemaker. Right? That, that's what this story points us to. Now, uh, let me give you a couple practical things as we wrap this up here. First, I want you to notice that pre peacemaking does not equal passivity. It does not equal passivity. In fact, uh, this, this story reminds us, and the, the whole idea, the whole bed source thing and treating them properly reminds us that, man, if we just leave it alone and be passive, um, it, it's actually going to get worse. Peacemaking is not passivity. In fact, for some of you, the reason that relationships are broken in your own life is because you've been passive when words of assertiveness in love needed to be said and they weren't said. Sometimes the most unloving thing you can do in a relationship is not say words that need to be said. Peacemaking does not equal passivity. The second thing that I want to call you to today, and really the, the way we're going to wrap this up this morning is this. I want to call you uh, to nail it to the cross. To relationships that have hurt you, uh, pe people who've hurt you, relationships that you've been wounded from and in. What, what this whole... Uh, parable 
and beatitude points us to is the beauty of the gospel. That the gospel is here because God is making peace with us. And because God is making peace with us, we can make peace with others. That's the beauty of the cross. And so I want to call you today to to simply, when it comes to brokenness and bitterness and unforgiveness in your heart, I want to call you to get really practical and tangible with this and say, man, I'm going to nail it to the cross. The cross is enough. And I'm going to nail it to the cross. Today. And so which really leads us to the third thing, and that is this, just to make the choice. To make the choice, right? I'm, I'm done playing games. I'm done putting salve on the bed sores while they get worse. I'm done building the walls. I'm done being passive. I'm done. I'm making the choice to nail it to the cross today. Today. Forgiveness is not an emotion. Forgiveness is not an emotion. Uh, you will likely, for someone who's wounded you deeply, never feel like forgiving them. Never. Never. Uh, some of you, uh, tragic things happen to you as a child. Maybe, maybe you're, here, you're a victim of sexual abuse uh, or, or physical abuse or uh, numerous things that I could start to name off right now. For you, you will never feel like forgiving. Forgiveness is not a feeling. Forgiveness, forgiveness is an action. And so today, it's time, it's time, it's time for you to, to stop being passive, for you to nail it to the cross, and to make the choice to actively do it today. That's what it looks like to be a peacemaker. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they are like daddy. They will be called sons of God.